Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other players at the table. My name is DM Ian, and today I am joined by none other than the illustrious DM Neil. Hey, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we are talking with a very special guest, the legendary John Arcadian. But before we get into that, Neil, we have some iTunes reviews. Yes, we do. We have two of them, as we are wont to do. And the first one is from Lunatar, and it's titled, This Podcast Flays My Mind. I like it. Five stars. (laughs) Yeah, off to a great start. I just happened across this podcast while searching through the tomes, and was I pleased. Even my familiar loves it. Do yourself a favor and start from episode one and cast haste so you get caught up fast. Love you guys. Great content and advice. I know that I personally cast haste pretty much every time I listen. So great advice and thank you, Lunatar, for the amazing review. Yeah, thank you very much. This next one is from Acel Manny. Uh, excuse me if I mispronounced that name. Again, it is five-star review. It says, these guys rock. I just started and am now on episode seven. I'm learning so much on how to be a DM and can't wait to catch up. Well, we hope you catch up soon, and thank you for your five-star review. Definitely. With that, we are going to head into the absolutely terrifying meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. So welcome to the meet. Today we have a very special guest, as we mentioned earlier, none other than the legendary John Arcadian, who is an author, a game designer, and head gnome at Gnome Stew. Why don't you say hi to everybody, John? Hi to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we do this with all our guests. We uh, we have a couple of different interview questions we like to ask. And so, Neil, why don't you take the take the first one? Definitely, John. I like this one because it's very open-ended and I don't really know how to ask it well because I also don't know what I'm going to get back. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I mean, literally anything you want, I guess. All right, literally anything. All right, so, you know, I I am John Arcadian. I am the head gnome over at Gnome Stew, which I think is the most prestigious, most fun title I have ever held in my life. (laughs) I would Um, agree. (laughs) We we went back and forth as to what to call the head gnome when I took over Gnome Stew, and I I wanted Gnome Tater, you know, because it it has a fun thing. You're the Gnome Tater, you know. But no, we went for head gnome. We we decided to keep it classy for some reason. Yeah, I, I, I do a little bit of everything. I do web development and web design for a lot of companies in the gaming sphere. I do freelance writing. I do freelance art direction. I do cartography, which is my newest skill. I'm not a huge artist, but I learned that I can photo manipulate awesomely. And that is what you need for a lot of modern cartography. So I'm I'm able to kind of pass through that. Yeah. And more often than not on any non below 30 degree day, I am in a kilt. That's pretty much most of everything about me. That is fantastic. Gnome Tater. <laughs> that should have been the title, but I appreciate keeping it classy. The second question we like to ask is, is there anything that you are currently working on that we should know about any projects you've got going on that you can share? What is going yeah. on over in Gnome Stewville? Something mind-numbingly applicable to the topic we're talking about? <laughs> oh, mind-numbingly. I can give you mind-numbingly. Yeah, no, uh, currently I, I'm working on, we're, we're working to get the Book of the 
Trask, the print version out. It's all set. It's waiting for verification from, from DriveThruRPG. We're also over at Encoded Designs working on uh, a book of 30 paranoia plots and how to write paranoia plots. That is, you know, just waiting to be pushed out there as well. And then the other thing that I've kind of been working on back and forth, and I've already got most of this, and it, it's the most ambitious project I've taken, is an animated web series to get new gamers into game. It's animated is somewhat generous, but it, it kind of looks, you know, has a format of like a 16-bit RPG game, but but it is aimed solely at no rules, nothing like that, just, just targeting new gamers and telling them, hey, here's all these tropes you're going to be thrown up against. Here's how this works. Here's how this feels. And we want to make this a comfortable space for you. So the best way to kind of do that was do it, you know, kind of like Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, you know, do this animated thing so everybody can see a little bit of themselves in the characters. Yeah, that sounds so awesome. So the next one up is how did you first get started in RPG? I first got started, you know, way, way back in the day, you know, d- during the satanic panic as, you know, Jim McClure's writing a book about now. So we're talking about that. You know, I, I was never allowed to play, but I was allowed to read the books because that wasn't as scary as going out and playing, you know, when I was a younger kid to my parents. So so I had all the books and I read them and I was like right there on the start of 2E, just like, ooh, tell me more, tell me more. Got to college, I, I started playing a game and after a couple of bad DMing experiences uh, from the DM, I said, I can do this better than, than that guy can. And so I, I kind of like slid in and took over the game and, and got everybody into my game and, and then it just kind of like snowballed from there. John, now it's time for the surprise question which we like to spring on our guests so you don't have time to prepare for it. And your question this time is strangely applicable to you. If you could spend eternity as any monster, what would that monster be and why? Ooh, all right. That's that's a good one um, because, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about the Tarrasque, but I would not want to spend eternity as the Tarrasque. That would not be fun. <laughs> I, I mean, it might be mindlessly fun, like, yeah, let's go destroy this because I hate everything. Rawr. That that would be fun on a very selfish level, but I mean, oh, I think extremely. I'd have to go for one of, like, the magical monsters, you know, that has, like, Alter Self or Polymorph, so you, so you kind of have options there. Yeah, so, I mean, let's let's just go big. Let's go for one of, like, the Deva Angels, you know? Like, like let's do that. Let's go the full divine path and just be like, yep, I'm an angel. What are you going to do about it? I dig it. I like it a lot. So with that, let's actually dig into our topic today. We are going to be talking about one of the most powerful monsters in D&D lore, one of the hardest ever to kill, one of the ones that DMs are scared to use, the Tarrasque. I can honestly say I've only ever encountered this monster one time. Right? (laughs) And you ran away the entire time. (laughs) But, you know, that just goes to show that the Tarrasque isn't ever really used. And so people might not know a lot about it, but what we like to do in these episodes of Raw Real Monster is kind of dive into the lore of these little-known or maybe widely-known creatures, so that way we can appreciate them a bit more. So with the Tarrasque, we wanted to start off by talking about the origins of the Tarrasque. And if memory serves me correctly, TSR, who was, if I remember correctly, the original publisher of Dungeons & Dragons, nor Wizards of the Coast has provided any sort of definitive answer on where the Tarrasque actually came from or why it's here john is that is that an accurate estimation 
Oh, it, it, and that is such a big question, you know, because, you know, I, I did a whole history section because the history of the Tarrasque is phenomenally interesting. It, it's this creature with such mystery around it. And I think they did that on purpose. But but there are, it, it is hard to nail down what the actual defended because, you know, there's a lot of stories out there. And I've talked to people who kind of been around at that time and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this was, this was you know, Gary Gygax wanted a kaiju in here. The development team wanted to put this big giant monster in. So for those who might not be familiar with Japanese lore, what exactly is a kaiju? Yeah, kaiju is a Japanese term for your Godzilla rubber suit sort of giant monster. You know, so it's any kind of Mothra or Gamera or, you know, King Ghidorah or any of those, you know, sort of creatures that they did the like 70s giant, you know, monster TV shows around. What was, um, why am I forgetting the bit, the movie, the one that came out where that's what they called every big monster? Oh, uh, you mean Pacific Rim, Guillermo del Toro's love letter to the kaiju genre. Yes. Which, if you, sorry, total tangent, but I'm going to leave it in the podcast because I think it's amazing. Tangents are great. If you watch Cloverfield as if it is the prequel to Pacific Rim, it elevates both movies. Cloverfield is the first introduction of kaiju to the world. That, think about it. that is a great way. Yeah. I may have to go watch Cloverfield now. Yeah. Done. There you go. I'll, okay, now we'll move back to the greatest kaiju of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> the greatest kaiju. The yeah, so, so the stories, the kind of folklore goes that, you know, it, it was put in because they wanted this sort of thing in there, you know. And if you look at the first kind of art, it does kind of look like somebody was described, like, like draw some a guy in a rubber suit sort of thing. It looks, you know, a little, yeah. e- even compared to the other monsters in art, like, it, it looks a little odd for that sort of thing. But yeah, so so as far as, like, why it's in D&D, that was the first sort of origin, but they never really talk about it it's just this thing from someplace and they leave the mystery very open around that until about fourth edition where they talk about how it's the primordials who wanted to get back at the gods and are like oh let, let's go like make a thing to destroy all of creation or the or the elemental princes the primordial elemental princes in fourth edition that was where they first kind of wrote in a fourth edition thing every other edition has kind of just been yeah it's it's a little bit here or there, there there's articles about the ecology of the Tarrasque, which talks a lot about it, but it still always leaves that mystery a little bit open. Just to, you know, make it that sort of, we know it's here, it has this giant effect, but discovering it now is something you can do with your characters. Huh. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty interesting. You know, I like the fact that there's sort of this this mystery behind it because it's one of those creatures that, that looks and feels very, almost alien in a way. And the origins, you can do a lot to play with that in your world if there's no Tarrasque or if there's no like world ending sort of creature. And and the way that the Tarrasque functions is very cool and lends to sort of that mystery of the actual origin story. And I, I do think I agree with you that it's sort of a throwback to the kaiju because even in your book, there's kind of like that history of the Tarrasque throughout all of the different iterations that you have. And some of the artwork in there is very, like it, it varies from version to version. It's pretty cool. It's pretty interesting to actually look at how the Tarrasque evolved in D&D. Oh yeah. yeah. The, I know honestly that's probably one of the for me personally one of the most interesting sections of the book of the Tarrasque because that history is so varied. And I know from when I started in second edition like the kind of thing behind the Tarrasque was like, oh it shows up once every 100 years, rampages for a while and then goes away. It's like the mystery behind that it's like you could live your entire adventuring career and have no chance of interacting with it if you were a human. And it's just like 
what happens for like the other 99 years? Like, where does it go? What does it do? And you know, there's so much mystery. And it's like, even when it does show up, I don't know that I want to do anything with it because I'm probably just yeah. going to die. And that's that's one of the great things I love about the Trask and the way they do it. There's so much open space around it. They've still got this really interestingly designed creature that has a lot of like, why does it do that? Why why can't I, you know, I'm going to go in, in here and I'm going to fight it and I'm going to throw a fireball. Why isn't that working? Oh my God, oh my God, run away. You know, if you're not prepared right, right. for it. And, and in the lore like that, it's like, why does nobody know that? Because it, it hasn't been around for 99 years. Why would anybody know that? You know, you're, you're three to four generations of like a medieval lifespan away from it. So why would anybody really remember that except as lore and, oh, it was probably just a dragon that they called the Tarrasque. Now, is the Tarrasque like unique to D&D and to Wizards of the Coast material? Uh, I mean, it started there. There... There are a lot of references to it in, in other places. There's like a Besom D20 version of it. There's, you know, Pathfinder, of course, right. you know, has it as soon as third edition did the SRD. Mutants and Masterminds has a version of the Trask that they, they converted over to that. The Torask appears in Starcraft as a kind of like, it is a Tarask. Just, um, just with, you know, a different spelling. <laughs> just with a slightly different spelling. And I think there's even like a, a giant version of that one, of that unit that's called the Torask, you know, as a thing back to it. And there's even a, an official D20 version of Starcraft that's out there in the alternative sort of system that is, you know, ha- has stats that are almost identical to the Tarask, just with them Starcraft. Well, and I assume the origin stories in those are also all widely varied and things of that nature, which, you know, you could pull from to actually create the origin story of the Tarask in your world, which I think would be really cool to, to go in and dive into the different histories because there's a lot of different interpretations as to what it kind of, where it came from, what its function is, if it's just, you know, this random beast left over from a more ancient and deadly time to, you know, we, we, t- we have here, you know, it could be a curse from the gods, which I think is a very interesting, you know, the whole judgment of God scenario is always our judgment of the gods scenario. You know, you have angered me here. Let me throw this beastie down to just judge and terrify you for all eternity sort of thing. That always plays well. It's when Paylor was having a bad day. So, yeah, I'm screwed. You know what? I'm, 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 I'm all lawful and stuff, but today, today we're just throwing yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it could prove to have some interesting story hooks, you know, instead of maybe, you know, we'll talk about how the Tarrasque dies later, but instead of the normal way, you know, you have to appease whatever God has sent the judgment on you for him to lift the curse of the Tarrasque. Like if it's a god of war, it's like, hey, we have defeated your Tarrasque in war. Is this sacrifice enough to you? Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'll, I'll leave you guys for another hundred years. Have, have some ideas. <laughs> uh, now you've almost given me the idea to have like a like a deity lottery. And it's like every hundred years, it's just like, who gets to pick where the Tarrasque goes? <laughs> and it's just like, it's me. Yes. And then just throw they it have a They have a battle board with minis and stuff all of the whole of the whole world. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put it here. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys, let's play Tarrasque and Terrors. Yeah. Okay. How, how do we do this now? <laughs> That would be that would be amazing. The other common thread is that it it was created by wizards, and I want to know what it would take and what kind of epic level wizards would be involved in the creation of this massive world-ending sort of beastie. Yeah. Because I can't imagine, as much as I love wizards, I can't imagine even a level twentieth wizard creating something quite like like that. You know, it, it seems like one of those like the spell goes wrong, the sort of thing you 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 do on a fluke. You know, you're like, all right, we're gonna make the battle beast for that for 
we're, you know, the king and country. We've got a cabal of like 15 wizards. We're doing it. We've got these battle beasts. We're giving it regeneration so it can get up at the end of the battle. And hey, hey, Joe, why didn't you, why didn't you dot your I's and cross your, your curly T's in the runes? Oh God, the regeneration is way higher. <laughs> what do we do now? Go to a new country go to a new country that's what we do and we just this country won't come after us because we just built the trask in the middle of it yes <laughs> yeah that was a i was thinking too was like that cabal of liches would be the evil thing is like okay well we're gonna just use our with our powers combined <laughs> casting pollution <laughs> but the like them getting together and thinking like i don't like who cares let's make the biggest baddest thing that we can possibly do and, you know, and it almost almost makes me think of manipulating like starting from a dragon and it turning into the Tarask and almost like going from that perspective. But yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, all three of us have already admitted it's like, it's not a wizard. It's yes. wizards or a group. It's just this thing transcends nor like your normal level of power into like a group. Well, to, to give a shout out to our buddy, it. Matt, it could also be that they discovered a dinosaur and you know, they because it looks very dinosaur esque, and they decided to put it through some rituals to fortify it because it's the biggest creature we've ever seen. We're going to use this as sort of our mad device in case another kingdom comes after us, and it, it ends up being their own destruction in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I mean, even even in a little more in the 3-5 and the 4 art, and the 5 art definitely, but they describe it as having that bird-like gait, that kind of hunched-over walking sort of thing. So I, I think they definitely, you know, as they kind of morph through the ages of, of D&D, we're definitely going more for that, because it, it does feel like the big dinosaur, mm-hmm. you know? It, it, it is the, the T-Rex until they actually put T-Rexes in. It does have that same, hold that same niche for, for D&D. Yeah. What, one of my favorite origins, though, is the stuff they kind of briefly in like a paragraph touched on in the Spelljammer setup. And the planet Falks, F A L X, where there are a ton of Tarasks. They're just one of the things. <laughs> and enjoy la- enjoy landing here. Oh, sorry, your ship's engine broke. Uh, enjoy it. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. horrible. And there's like this, it, it, yeah. There's like this elithid like mind flayer race and this like goblin like race there that are like you know the alien versions of those you know. But it's like, yep, they live underground because these Tarask like creatures live above ground. So, and somehow there was an interdimensional portal which brought it to your world. Yay! Well, that's that's one of the plot hooks I wrote up. Is that like a strange airship lies into your uh, flies into your town and says, "Hey, we've got these tiny little creatures. You know, do you do you do you want to trade for them?" And you know, they start out about you know, yay big, maybe a foot across, and everybody's like, "This is awesome. We have these little like vicious creatures. We'll train them as guard dogs. Why won't it stop growing?" Yeah. <laughs> How big do these things actually get? Yeah. Clifford, the big red god. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So now, I mean, we've talked about it and how terrifying it is, and it is very terrifying. But let's get into some of the specifics of the power that the Tarask has, different immunities and all that stuff. So, and and I think that is one of the things that makes the Tarask truly terrifying is that, you know, you, you go against a dragon, you go against something like that, even though it's intelligent and it's fighting strongly, you, you have a chance to affect it. You, you know, know what works on it. You can figure it out. You know, this green dragon is not really taking much acid damage so we have to use something else but the tarask is immune to pretty much everything fire poison bludgeoning damage piercing damage slashing damage unless it's non-magical it has resistance to any spell that well it has resistance to any spell but then it has just instant nothing will attack it nothing will harm it as far as a spell goes if it is if you have to make a roll for it if you if it has line in the word if it has you know ranged attack you know it, it can only be you have to get it to 
to make a saving throw for any spell to even think about affecting it. And then, you know, if you accidentally do cast that, most of the time it just go, bounces off one in six times. It bounces off back at you. I, I had a great time, like, to a, a group that wasn't quite prepared, didn't quite read up, even though I, I gave them the page, said you can read everything, they glossed over that. In comes the sorcerer with fireballs. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Hey, guess what I just rolled? How, how do you like that? And just, just spent the rest of the combat charred. So if you don't know those things, <laughs> that's what makes the Tarask really dangerous. Yeah, and, and did did we talk about the legendary saves that it gets to those? Oh, not not even legendary saves. You know, the 5e sort yeah. of thing. It's just three times in the combat. Oh, the Tarrasque failed this roll? No, he didn't. Tick one off? No, you don't You don't get to do that. It's great to use those as a DM and just watch the players be like, all right, we got this, we got this. Oh, you forgot about that. How do we do this? Or like, you know, kind of like work out their strategy for like, how do we how do we make the Trask bleed those off, you know? Because we've, we've got a spell, we want to polymorph it, but we have to make sure it uses the legendary saves on something else. Yeah, because the, the legendary save in 5e, I mean, that makes... I remember just reading through the Monster Manual as a, as a new DM in 3.5 and looking at the Tarrasque and going, oh my goodness, like this thing, you don't want to go up against it, one, with non-magical weapons because it's immune to all damage from non-magical weapons. And then you don't want to throw spells at this thing because it's got so much spell immunity and resistance. Like there's there's no way that you can get through that. And so in, in 5e, to, to make it even more even more deadly, that those legendary resistances where you can just go, no, I, no. Like <laughs> it's just, that just, it's so much more just mean and destructive in that regard. I mean, especially when you can consider how low you would have to have rolled in the first place to fail. I mean, with giving you know, because the bonuses that the Tarrasque already has to pretty much everything it's doing are astronomical. So you're probably looking, I mean, definitely at a single digit number, possibly a one or a two. And then three times during that, you're just like, never mind. He's fine. He, she, <laughs> well, yeah, because I mean, a lot of the, yes. a lot of the, unless you're throwing something at it, that's like a will save or a deck save or something of those, of, the, of that nature. I mean, its strength is absolutely ridiculous. It's constitution is absolutely ridiculous and i mean it just so anything that you're going to try to do that's going to actually affect this thing you're going to have to roll really really well otherwise it's just going to be immune your your best bet with spells is generally on the um dexterity or the intelligence sort of spectrum you know it only has a plus five to its intelligence you know saves charisma is plus nine wisdom is plus nine so even though it has low stuff there it's still kind of ridiculous based on how they've designed it and then you have to get into the fact that you can't charm it it's immune to that you can't frighten it it's immune to that you can't paralyze it it's immune to that. Yeah, so you can you can't poison it. It's immune to that. So anything you can do tactically like that, you have to think around that. You have to do stuff that it will be forced to react to in some ways. And even then, you know, your your psychic powers are still like you can kind of make this ruling as a GM that like, oh yeah, you're you're going to use something that is magically psychic. The Tarras doesn't have a mind and, and can't process that. So yes, you've created this giant illusion and the Tarras doesn't care. It can still smell you still has blind sight well and you touched some on the condition immunities which is which is you know the next thing we wanted to talk about so you said it's immune to charm it's immune to fear it's immune to to paralyze and poison are there any other immunities that it has that we should know about um not in the raw tarask on there or any that we could throw in as dms if we're planning on using this even from other other sources (laughs) oh god yes that then it gets fun i often actually when i'm running this i love seeing the players come up with really interesting ideas so i 
I roll some of that stuff back or be like, all right, you know what? That makes it more fun. That makes it more interesting and, and let that stuff happen. Lightning, every lightning spell is kind of up in the air as to whether that will work. Because if it has line, you know, it's supposed to bounce off. But I often I often give them a little bit of a pass on that if it's like lightning coming down from the sky. I'm like, nah, logically that would work. But I mean, you can always throw in more immunities to be like, yes, it is tougher. It just kind of shakes that off. Because um, I know you guys tried the chestburster tactic on it. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we, we weren't not going to mention the chestburster. But it's like, okay, so how would that work? You know, and so, and so after running that game with you guys, I kind of wrote up like, how would you work that? I'm like, yeah, you're, you're a zombie or creature or summon thing that is bursting out that is, you know, so the chestburster for, for the people who, who aren't aware of it is uh, as you guys worked it out. Raise a zombie or a summoned creature, stick a potion of growth inside its mouth, teleport it. Uh, polymorph, polymorph it first into a bear and then put the and then, yeah, in into the heart. heart. Yeah. <laughs> and then, well, then, no, oh, the no, lung. That, that was, uh, oh, that was Neil lung, yeah. getting in the heart. <laughs> yeah. Teleport it into the lung and then make it, make it drink the potion to explode out of the chest for massive damage. And that works. I'm, I'm going to give that to you because that is a fun and interesting tactic. But there's also the how much damage does it take and can it even, you know, if the Trask has bones that are like iron, what would a thing growing into an iron cage, you know, look like? Yeah, so you kind of have to play the logic game there and say like, yeah, let's give some some uh, some damage to the Trask. But also that that's like a one shot wonder. And also doing it with the zombie, that is the only thing that like, oh, you summoned a bear or a celestial in a bear you know, body. Celestial's like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care. We're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's not happening today. Yeah. So we, we've talked about damage immunities. We've talked about condition immunities. What sort of resistances does it does the Tarrasque have damage-wise uh, that would make it a little harder to defeat outside of its normal immunities? So it has, you know, the, the magic resistance that, you know, gives it saving throw against all spells and magical effects. Um, you know, it has the resistance, you know, which is a damage immunity against piercing, slashing, non-magical. As far as other stuff that is actually actually considered a resistance it has a lot of hit points that is <laughs> like very that, that true is, <laughs> that is kind of where it has a lot of hit points and you know i i can't run a tarask without regeneration so you know I've, I've got rules in the book of the trask for either a mild regeneration or a constant regeneration or a, you know one that triggers one in every you know six sort of chance now now correct me if i'm wrong but i believe in 3.5 it did have a pretty substantial passive regeneration but not in 5e right not in four not in yeah. five and they kind of remove that because it does already take a lot to take down but adding it back in is is not hard to do at all and i i, I feel like that really gives gives the weight to the you have to use a wish to kill this sort of thing it's no longer just this monster it is now this monster of myth with regeneration again. right right that's what shocked me at first you know you told us to study up on the on the tarasque and, and all of that and i had never seen a tarasque outside of 5e or excuse me out of 3.5 because i skipped 4e altogether and i'm a recent 5e convert so i was like where's the health regeneration and and that is something as a dm that if you are going from the raw of 5e i would definitely add in because it makes the tarasque that much more legendary like you said, I mean, it, it makes it feel more like the 3.5 version, which you never, ever, ever wanted to encounter and nobody ever used because it was just so mean. Even if you do it in, in a kind of thematic way where, you know, it's like, oh, it regenerates 
15 hit points around or 20 hit points around or something, you know, when, when you're fighting it anywhere between 15th and 20th level that like, okay, we can probably do that, you know, it just adds that little extra thing into players' minds of how are we going to deal with that? Okay, we've got to, you know, keep this constant damage wheel going, you know, we've got to go to like, like World of Warcraft style MMO, like ha- damage per second, how do we do this and how do we keep this up, you know, you know, it, it makes you think through those tactics or run away, which is awesome and I've seen groups too, just be like, we got it down to 150 hit points and when it went back up to 200 loose we're done we're We're walking away from this and coming back to it later The kind of final two pieces that I feel are one of the lesser things, but if again, if you're not prepared, like this will really mess your group up, are Frightful Presence and Swallow Hole. I mean, so I say that because the Frightful Presence, if you play your cards right, you just, you can't be feared either because you're already 20th level. You eat the, um, Heroes what was feast. it, the feast? Yeah, the Heroes Feast and Swallow Hole. Hey, I'm the guy that wants it. I'm going in. Thank you. Which you did. <laughs> or, yeah. 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 And, and you, you got inside the heart, which made me write up extra rules on, on what to do when you get inside the heart, you know, or inside the lungs or all those other places. And then I got pushed out and yep. had to use my divine intervention. Well, you know, what's funny in. is that, that that swallow hole is pretty terrifying because if you're medium-sized, it can swallow anything medium-sized easily. And so it's like, you know, you just see this giant maw coming at you and there's no way that you're going going to win on a strength check against this thing or whatever the save is for the swallow hole because it's just it's got the strength to even if it rolls a two it's still going to swallow you <laughs> and that's actually large size it can swallow large yeah yeah large yep. or yeah, small. yeah so good luck if you've taken you know one potion of growth you need to take two or three to not be <laughs> instantly you know eaten down yeah and and you know of course there's the initial damage but like what is what is the trip like on the way down for just to give you kind of a visual down the gullet of this thing to its stomach because i think that adds to some of the more like the frightening aspects of now this is not just you're not being swallowed you're not maybe not being chewed but you are being swallowed <laughs> yeah there, there is actually and this is kind of fascinating if you, if you want a good visual thing to pull out to your players look up on youtube and i, I forget exactly what it is but there's documentary footage of where they take a, a mini camera and put it in like a little you know like mouse body and a wolf comes by and swallows it and so it actually shows the whole time you know it gets chewed on but it's got a casing and then it gets swallowed in and it just shows with the little like night vision light going right down into the throat you know it's just this this dark like confining and then it, it this plop at the end you know into this you know acidy stomachy pit and, and as far as mechanics I mean you're taking 56 damage every round you're inside the Tarask in the stomach it's acid and damage, right? Know, that's acid damage. So, I mean, that's going to get past a lot of your your sort of immunities. You know, it's one of those like, no, it'll be fine. It's armor. There's so many things. It's just like, no, nope, it's acid damage. That doesn't matter. Yeah, you can just kind of look in the rules and check it off and say you're still taking this. So, yeah. I mean, the, the moment any character gets swallowed, everybody else is figuring out how to get that character out of the terrasque because if it's the mage, they're like, no, we need <laughs> And if, yes, <laughs> we need you out here in the fight. Get him out and resurrect him. You know, and being inside can be a valid tactic. I've seen barbarians go inside, and you know, like I'm going to hack away at it. Which is why I, I kind of say like it's nobody is as tough on the inside as they are on the outside. So yeah, I'm giving it a, a lower armor class. So so if you do something like that, it can be a valid tactic if you can survive. And, and I think this is worthy of mention. And I know you, I know, I know you've said this already, John. But we're talking about the, just the power of the Tarask. I think this is worth a mention here, especially once you've whittled down the hit points, however that manages to happen, and you reduce it to zero. This thing isn't dead. 
I mean, it, sure, it's 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 taken out of the fight. It's it's unconscious, but it is not dead. How do you actually kill this thing? Yeah. So, and I mean, this is of course one of those raw, you know, five E because five E doesn't quite have that in there. They they want to give a little, you know, different thing. But if you have regeneration and you're going kind of by the old school, the Trask is a, a monster of myth rules. You have to use a wish generally. I mean, that is ex- exactly how it has been in every other edition up to fourth. Is that you have to use a wish in fourth edition. It had to be, it, it just went to sleep for a couple of hundred years at that point. But yeah, so so you have to find a wish, you have to find something else. In my games, I will allow a lot of really interesting ideas. People will take the, the Blade of Nine Live Stealer, and you know, if they can get a successful hit and steal the last essence of the Trask, that's great. You've got an evil artifact weapon now that commands its owner to bloodlust, but it has stolen the essence of the Trask, and the Trask is not around until that weapon is destroyed. <laughs> well, and, and I don't know, in 3.5, you could use Wish or you could use Miracle. Yeah. Right, because Miracle is the, the, the cleric version, version of that. Of so I don't know if there is that in 5e. I haven't played a cleric yet. So, And I think that that's a great component of the fight. Not only do you have to like prep for all of these immunities and these resistances and you know go in there knowing that you're probably going to die, but you also have to have some sort of thing beyond just killing it to to kill it and i love what you said and and i've heard other people echo this maybe not in the way that you said it but you're as a dm grant wishes like a vengeful genie <laughs> that's what i was going to mention was that in fifth edition you aim if you're making this wish it's not uh, just easy it's done thing it's the if you word it correctly you'll probably get what you want probably with something else. I love doing that. Your, your guys was awesome. When, who, who was it? Cor- Corey. Corey was the one who had the wish, the barbarian with the, the luck blade, and he had three wishes in it. And, you know, everybody's like, let's make a pit big enough that the trash falls into a terminal velocity. All right, we can do that. Three miles long should be about right. All right, so how are you guys getting out of the three mile radius and not falling in there with it, you know? And then and then the moment I did that, and the moment you do that to a group of players, they start thinking like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, we know what we have to do now, you know? So, yeah, I mean, and wishes are great that way. I don't know if I do a divine miracle in the, with the same level, unless it's like a trickster god or a, a, you know, chaotic evil or a lawful evil. Yeah, that and then that's sort of going to your demon, you know, kind of like, oh yeah, no, we, we'll take care of the Trask, but this contract is signed in blood and we're going to have to figure out how it screws you too sort of thing. Well, that that poses the problem of now you've got this other entity to deal with which could pose some some interesting consequences and that's a great plot hook too like may, maybe it's the greater demon that oh, sets yeah. you you know like onto the path and says hey i want the trask out of the world i will absolutely help you get rid of it when the time comes but it's got to be killed by a mortal hand all right i'll take care of it now the trask is my pet well if we, I like where we've you've helped us segue. Uh, do we have other adventure hook ideas? I mean, the first one that comes to my mind, of course, is the one that I'm helping write as a freelancer is the uh, Salt and Wounds setting. And essentially, the Tarasque is stuck, and an entire population has existed now on eating and harvesting the Tarasque. Now, granted, that's not. I don't think that's necessarily what we are thinking about because I think like our goal here is to show you the listener how to make it the special thing that it's always been and to elevate the terrestre to this like very infrequently used but definitely used encounter that will your players will just talk about for a really long time i mean my favorite thing would be and you know this is kicking it super old school of just like your your players get to a point where they're essentially demigods in you know back in second edition and then it's just like we're strolling down the street and now there's a terrasque because it's like at that point it's one of the few things you can throw at your players that will really shake 
shake things up and they have to super work super hard to try and defeat it. And and that's one of the really cool things about the Trask or a high level monster like this is, you know, it makes a great campaign ender because because all my games have generally been the same. Like, oh man, we're getting up into the high levels. We've saved the kingdom. We've saved the country. We've fought off the demons. We're at level 13. Uh, do we really want to keep playing because we've gotten through the interesting stuff? But you can always pull the Beowulf out and like, yeah, Beowulf had all his adventures. But then there's this little end cap at the end where he's old and retired and he's like, let's go fight a dragon. And that's my my final battle is fighting this dragon. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's take you're all at level 13. You all jump up to level 17 or 18 and the Tarask is out. You're all now maybe 10 years older, you know, but you're the heroes. You're the, the people who can come through and end this. So let's see what your last adventure is like, you know? Yeah. And do you save the world that one last time? Yeah. The other one I just thought of, and like I feel really bad because I know it's not my idea, and so I don't know who told who told this to me. So hopefully it's you, John, and I can immediately <laughs> give credit where credit is due. But essentially, having the Tarask be a thing that is known, like your players start and they can see off over in the distance, the Tarask is just ruining everything, and that that's their motivation to adventure and try and become powerful enough quickly enough to stop the Tarask from doing it, which I think really can elevate a whole campaign knowing that like that motivation is literally look to the right. There's smoke, dust, destruction, literally right over there. And that's what could keep your players going and kind of keep that urgency of the matter. I, I love the idea that you had earlier where, you know, there's this there's baby Tarasks everywhere or, you know, Tarasks along an, a line of maturity. And so, you know, maybe maybe you're practicing, you know, you've got the Tarask and now you've got tons of other little Tarask lings, if you want to call them that, that are kind of the forerunners of the Tarask. And now you're looking at something similar to like an Eldrazi plague that's sweeping across the planet. And now you've got to fight baby Tarasks and that's how you're leveling up. And obviously they're not going to be anywhere near as strong. They're not going to have all the time to absorb the magic that they're going to need to have the immunities and the resistances. They're still mean. They're still ready and willing to kill and destroy just like their papa or their mama. But it's a plague that's, that's hit the world. And now you've got to deal with it. And the only way to deal with it is to kill the parent. But you can't do that until you fight your way through the hordes of, of mini Tarasks. That uh, I, I'm, I'm starting up a campaign uh, at a local meetup that, that's kind of going to be playing out one or two of these plot things that I've you know, kind of built or, or, you know, kind of conceptualized. But but that's one of them where somebody used a wish to get rid of the Tarask, but they misworded it. And they said, we don't want the Tarask to be the singular threat it has been to the world. All right, cool. So the the wish spawns off a bunch of Tarskaran, which is the actual French town, name of the French town where the Tarask was like the, the actual real world myth was around. So they spin off a bunch of Tarskaran, which are these, you know, like eight foot tall giant beasts, but not like the main Tarask. And they're all over the world now and they decimate the like local populations. But the world kind of comes to a balance after a couple of years and people are like, well, they they can be trained. So, all right, we've got Beasts of Burden and War Mounts. And, you know, rather than, like, riding around on a war horse, let's ride around on this giant, already armored mini Trask sort of thing. And that's great for a long time. And they're trainable, and they're actually kind of friendly. Until something happens, and you ride into a town, and you're like, the only thing left here is the Tarskaran. Why? Well, I think a cool, a cool, like, you, you mentioned balance. Like, eventually it restores... What if the Tarask is the equalizer? 
for your world. Say your world can only, you know, for whatever magical reason can only support X number of population and then the Tarrasque wakes up and like has to purge the earth. And that's sort of the cleansing mechanism for the planet. And it doesn't necessarily happen at a set time interval. It's just whenever the maximum number of occupancy for the planet, the planet is the thing that sends the Tarrasque after the world to kind of cleanse it. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be kind of cool. Like it's the restorer of balance, sort of like the avatar, if you will, but in a much more violent form. Well, and that was that was my thought too i mean you could also play into like real world stuff and that helps motivate campaigns and things like that where essentially you have what i will now term as the mmd <laughs> the monster of mass destruction and you know this nation has one this one doesn't or they've created one and playing out you know, and you could even you know and so i just turned the tarasque into almost a political campaign with this looming threat of what happens if one lets it loose will the other what happens so john we want to thank you so much for coming on and talking about the tarasque it's been a great conversation and if people want to know more about you or want to get in contact with you how exactly would they go about doing that all right so yeah it has been great being on and talking about destroying worlds with the tarasque that is always the fun part of it yeah so you can find the book of the tarasque at drive through rpg the print version should be out soon if if everything all the eyes got get dotted and t's get crossed but if you want to find me of course i am at gnome stew managing things keeping it working behind the scenes over there and making sure everybody can can write what they want you can also find me i have a pretty unique name there aren't many other john arcadians out there i doubt the veracity of of most of them um, <laughs> when i have found them so so if you google john arcadian or twitter.com john arcadian or facebook.com john arcadian that is me the only place where that doesn't hold true is youtube where i have a doppelbro who uses the name and and i'm just not 100 percent sure about what's going on there but um yeah, so, so twitter <laughs> facebook a doppelbro yeah but outside of that uh john arcadian pretty much anywhere like you know that that you find and googling it it will be me. awesome well we want to thank you again and it was a pleasure having you on the, the you dungeon so master so much yeah. fun all right, well, we'd like to thank John once again for joining yes. us on the Dungeon Master's Block. It was an absolute pleasure to have him. We are so thankful that he was able to join us. And Neil, if the listeners would like to get a hold of us, how do they do that? They can always send us an email over at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. That's, of course, if 140 characters just won't do. And if you want to show us some extra love and get your five-star review read on air verbatim, you can always head over to iTunes. And as always, if you're in a different country let us know so we can find it even easier if you would like to follow us on twitter the handle is at dms underscore block that's at dms underscore block or you can like us on facebook we will let you know on those two those two sites when we drop a new episode we'll also post polls on there and all kinds of fun memes and information to keep you up to date on what is going on in the dms block world and all kinds of fun stuff you'll be able to find all of us there as well all of our personal Twitters and that kind of thing, you would like to connect with us there and be limited to 140 characters. <laughs> we now are going to go into our Patreon shout-out. And our Patreon member this week is... Eric Schaefer! Yeah, he is a mighty silver dragon. Yes, thank you, Eric. People love gold dragons, but silver's my favorite. So he's going to be flying through the DM's block forum and be casting Frost Breath 
everywhere. So thanks, Eric, for your patronage. We really appreciate it. And welcome to the other side, my friend. And the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. And you can go check out our other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, and We're So Bad at Adventuring. With a few more coming down the pike. hey hey <laughs> And that's all we have here at the Dungeon Master's Block. The place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all the other people at the table. Good night and good luck. And we'll see you next week on the Dungeon Master's Block. Goodbye.